to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good afternoon. Welcome into the podcast. Today is Tuesday. It's September the 6th, 2022, and I am Jay. I want to start off the podcast today talking a little bit about the Raleigh Fire Department, the Raleigh Fire Department in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, Raleigh is a just a growing city. It's a uh, technology hub, and uh, from, the, from the sleepy town it once was, it is no longer. And of course, they're protected by, by Raleigh firefighters and the Raleigh Fire Department, and I've been receiving uh, bits and pieces here and there uh, about uh, issues with pay and also issues with um, the number of firefighters, uh, not uh, uh, positions that weren't filled. And so uh, I thought I would just offer in comments in general. You know, uh, firefighters, uh, paying firefighters, it's, it's vital if you want to keep good people. And uh, a competitive wage, uh, certainly a livable competitive wage, is, uh, is something that I think all firefighters aspire to have. And frankly, it's the least we can do for those who uh, protect citizens. Um, I understand that, that there was a raise, and, uh, but that perhaps it didn't meet uh, with the approval of uh, the local, at least it didn't reach the amount that, that they had hoped for, which, of course, is part and parcel of, of, uh, of budgeting and, and uh, negotiations. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that really catches my eye are the number of un, unfilled positions. And I'm not uh, going after the city of Raleigh on this. Uh, I'm, I'm using it as an example of um, sort of the focus uh, that firefighters everywhere see when their department uh, doesn't fund uh, or doesn't hire people to fill positions. What it, what it does is it, it's indicative of leadership that cares uh, more about uh, dollars and cents than they do uh, firefighters. And look, we live in a world where dollars and cents matter. They matter a lot unfilled positions when they are needed and really you have to ask yourself this um, why are they unfilled if they're needed well there are tons of reasons we see it in departments all over um, but the bottom line is is that it weakens a fire department it, it it weakens their ability to respond to and take care of emergency scenes it it weakens the the sense of trust between uh, firefighters and, and various administrations. And ultimately, it smacks of poor leadership, not only uh, perhaps at the fire department level, but certainly at the city level. Whatever town you're in, um, unfilled positions means that uh, city administration doesn't view them as important. Now, if you were to do an audit uh, of, of uh, cities around the country, I think many times you'd find that funds are always going to projects, uh, pet projects perhaps, but, uh, perhaps, but projects that don't uh, 
that, that aren't necessary uh, for the safety and security of the people who live within a city. We see this in a lot of places. We see some cities that try to be all things to all people, and they don't fund the most essential resources or the most essential uh, uh, positions. And there are others who hate to hear that word, essential, because somebody who, uh, who runs an arts program for a city obviously feels they're essential, and they may well be, but they are not more essential than people who protect. That's just the way it goes. Um, you know, if you run a, a uh, you know, a club, you know, a sports club for kids, it is, uh, it's important. You know, I grew up playing sports and, and uh, from a very young age, uh, these publicly funded clubs and things, they, they were a big boon. Um, they meant a lot. Yet, I don't consider those to be more essential than people getting on uh, a fire truck or, or uh, wading into a, a scene to help solve a crime. They're simply not. You know, I know that people hate to be told that, that there are people in positions, I should say, more essential than the one they have, but that's just a fact. Um, you know, fire, police, uh, EMS, uh, truck drivers... People who bring things and take things away. Sanitation's far more important than than any other program of arts or, or whatever. They just are. We can't live in a society where garbage piles up outside the door. People get sick and die. Again, people don't like to hear that. So oftentimes when you see a fire department that has 20, 30, 50, 70 vacancies, whatever the case may be, it is a direct indictment of city officials, and sometimes it's a direct indictment of the people who lead those emergency agencies. Um, a quick trip through uh, through minutes of, of uh, council meetings and and through budgets will often give you an, often give you enough uh, ammunition to say, you know what, um, there are people in in emergency services that don't care either. They care about their position, don't care about anyone else's. So to go back to Raleigh, I don't know that that's what's going on there. I know firefighters uh, are, are upset about it. Um, but I think in general, oftentimes, what I just described is exactly what we see in communities around the country. That's unfortunate, and it should change. Let me get into questions. I, uh, I had a good question from, uh, from someone in uh, the... Uh, a metro New York City area, and he he posts uh, or he sent me this comment and then question. He said, "You know, you like the podcast, okay? Um, do departments nationwide uh, depend too much on crosslays?" And this is interesting because I had this conversation with another group of people and uh, about crosslays. And here's my thing about crosslays: they they can be time savers. They certainly can. And uh, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. But oftentimes, crosslays, they need to be all things for all people. And there's not a lot that you can do with them. Um, I believe that uh, building your line out of, off the back or wherever is often superior because you can pull what you need. So if you need 350 feet for whatever reason, you can build it. However, oftentimes, 
if you if your cross lays let's say 200 feet and you need 350 what are you going to do some people say well you build it then yeah but how often do you practice it this is my thing with with fire departments i don't care what you have you could have 64 cross lays you can build 144 lines how often do you pull them how often do you practice building that line typically what you get is the lazy response well, we're too busy sitting on couches and being in recliners to get out and do anything. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. The bottom line is, no matter where you are, if you're not getting out and practicing these essential, perishable skills, they go away. So, what do most departments do? Well, I guess it depends on your choice. As I said, I'm not anti-crosslays. Um, I think they can serve their purpose as long as they're understood. Um, I'm also uh, unapologetically pro building your own lines. I just think that with practice, you can deploy precisely what you need, or if you need more, it's not once every, you know, seven or eight hose lays. It's practice. Each time you do it, you build it. So at some point, if it's required again, much quicker. Just a thought. Another question came in about... Uh, Halligans, uh, Halligans versus uh, pickhead axes, and uh, you know, both versatile, both versatile tools. Um, the pickhead axe, I think, is underappreciated, um, especially now in the age of saws and 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 everything. And as I've been saying, I've I've been saying this uh, for well over 25 years now. Um, if you're going to go to the roof with a saw, bring a pickhead axe. Uh, because uh, when the saw doesn't start, the axe always does. It doesn't let you down, typically, and that's important. Another question regarding uh, qualifications for fire chief. Do you believe that fire chiefs should have international accreditation or some sort of accreditation before they are promoted to fire chief? The answer to that is no, I don't. Um, this just personally I think that those things are great I do and if you're in a department that doesn't uh, that, that gives the fire chief time to go and do that that's one thing many departments the fire chief is absolutely busy and because of that they may not be able to go and get that or a deputy chief or, or an assistant chief may not be able to go and get it and if that's the case they shouldn't be punished I think the essential ingredient for a fire chief is and will always remain good leadership that's the essential that's the essential task of a fire chief is to lead and uh, that's where the standard is set and the department follows that so no i don't think they necessarily need to be uh you know whatever accreditation or or uh or certified this or certified that outside of what what's required for the job I mean, that, that, and I'm sure that's a debatable point for many people, but that's my two cents. Um, we are looking at a platform uh, and or a, or a mid-mount. Um, what's the big difference to you? Well, look, here's the thing. Um, if you're going for a rear mount, it's typically the, the travel height's going to be higher. The mid-mount, travel height's typically going to be lower. That comes into play depending upon what kind of town slash city you, you respond in. Um, and that's just one of the many uh, variables, weight. 
Um, you know, I remember back uh, around 2009, maybe 2010, um, a department was was looking at uh, at buying a new aerial, and and I was talking with the uh, assistant chief at that time, and and the bottom line was they uh, they really wanted a platform, uh, but the weight on it, you know, it. it it ended up, uh, at that time, it was between a platform and a stick. The stick is much lighter, sometimes 10, 15,000 pounds, I guess. So, I mean, you have weight, you have travel height, um, setup time. There's all kinds of things that go into that. Um, but for me, any aerial device, and I don't care what it is, what the purpose is, it has to be able to fit down streets. It has to be able to get into the places where it needs to get into. If you're largely industrial, you know, platform may be perfect for you. If it's tight urban streets, maybe a mid-mount, maybe a single axle stick, the bottom line is everybody's area is different. You can't spec one truck and expect it to fit in every situation because it simply won't do, you know, in every city and town. That's just not the way it works. Look at yours, see what your turning distances are, distance to buildings, what are your setbacks, um, you know, all of those things go into determining for you uh, what the best apparatus is. Don't go based on what somebody else has gotten and certainly don't go based on what a salesman is, is trying to sell you. That is not a wise choice. People who, who let the salesman basically spec everything, they have no idea what they're doing, uh, meaning the people who allow that. There's some salesmen out there really good at this, but you have to remember, they're there to sell. Keep that in mind. Another question. Um, nah, I don't like Oh, yeah, all right, I'll do it. Non-walk-in rescue to walk-in rescue. We've been having a big debate here about that. Oftentimes it seems as if people want the walk-in rescue simply because they see it on a lot of videos, i.e. FDNY, etc. I'm a proponent for uh, the non-walk-in, what say you? Uh, well, what's your area? How many people are in? Are, are, how many people are on your rescue? Um, sure, people often fall in love with what they see. Sometimes it's hard to imagine something that they don't see. Um, I like the walk-in rescue. I do. I like it because firefighters are right there at their equipment. Um, it, to me, it just makes sense. Uh, um, that being said, being on a non-walk-in is not, I mean, that'd be great too. I, I guess the bottom line is, like a lot of things, um, what's your situation? You know, what, what's the size of your town? Uh, how many people are going to be in the back? Uh, how much equipment do you need? How often is that equipment used? Um, all sorts of things go into that. And, you know, here's a good idea, too. And I, I say this to people a lot. If you have a question, go talk to some towns and cities because they're willing to talk uh, about what they have and why they made the choice they did. Maybe it convinces you to go their way, or maybe it convinces you that, you know what, another way is going to be better. We live in an age where everybody's connected. There's no excuse for not reaching out and asking about different apparatus, engine, bladder, rescue, hazmat, everything. 
There's just no excuse. Um, I know pride gets in the way of some people reaching out to other towns, but you got to put pride aside and try to figure out what's best for your particular situation. Um, here's another one. Uh, at what point uh, do you think... No, hold on a second. Let me go to the question. Yeah. What do you think the next innovation is in SCBA? Well, that's a tough one. Short term, more refinements on, on what's already there. Long term, I think we'd all like to see self-contained breathing apparatus that is much lighter than what, what we have right now. I mean, I can't think of anyone who wouldn't love to, who wouldn't love to see an SCBA that uh, basically is to have the size of a of an oxygen cylinder right now would be awesome. Um, that's less weight on your back, less cumbersome, less prone to getting caught up in things, uh, less prone to injuring a firefighter. Um, if in the event you have to get out of something, you might not have to get take the air pack off in order to get through a hole in the wall or out of a room or whatever. To me, that will be the next greatest innovation um, is, is weight and size. You know, I know there are limits uh, to, you know, how much air you can fit into a particular cylinder, and that makes sense. And then it, at what point does it become cost prohibitive? But I think the next great innovation in SCBA would be size. Um, it would be awesome for firefighters not to have to lug around. And look, those of us who hugged around, excuse me, uh, those of us who uh, carried around, uh, we all remember the old cylinders from the 80s and 90s. Um, and go back further. Those things were monsters. The people now have it good compared to that. Still, they don't have it good overall. It's still too cumbersome. It really is. Um, that would be a great innovation to, to see the weight uh, reduced and the size reduced uh, so as to make it, uh, I won't say enjoyable to carry around, but certainly based or compared to what they're doing now, I think it would be enjoyable. I want to talk a little bit um, about something that uh, I saw. Huh? I don't remember exactly, maybe 15, 20 years ago, it was Bill Belichick, football coach. Um, a player had left, and they were asking him about the player. Uh, or no, there was a player who wanted to be traded. They were asking him about the player who wanted to be traded. And, you know, he doesn't respond very often. And he said something along the lines of, I'm, I'm coaching the guys who are here. I think that's instructive across many different levels. It's instructive across interpersonal relationships, all sorts of things. The people who are who bought in, the people who have said, you know what, I want to be here, that aren't waffling, those are the people you got to keep. Those are the people you got to hold on to. Those are the people you owe responsibility to. The people who are half in, half out, or or uh, maybe they're already checked out. Um, you know, it's hard to hold them close because they don't want it. It really is. So to me, much as in football or hockey, you owe it to the people who are fully engaged and on board. That's who you owe it to. 
Um, the people who aren't or who can't make up their mind, yeah, you know, everybody's an adult in the fire service. If they don't know, let them walk. But the people who are bought in, the people who are, who are invested in it, the people who are there, who are uh, informed and, and part of what you're doing, that's where your responsibility lies. Um, to me, that's where you focus. One, let me do one final question. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, let me get to the ventilation one. Yeah, here it is. Um, effective ventilation, there are many different uh, definitions for it, but I'm just wondering, just off the top of your head, what do you think effective ventilation is? I, I'm not sure there are like a hundred definitions of effective ventilation. I, there may be uh, a series of responses uh, coming from the same place. Effective ventilation is... is uh, is uh, openings that uh, are created to allow uh, for rapid removal of heat, toxic gases, etc. I think there are many different ways to put that. Um, you can be salty. Um, you can do sort of a a, uh, a more textbook definition. But in the end, it's all about uh, relieving conditions for those inside. Um, to allow for the fire to be put out, rescues to be made, less property damage. It's all a big winner with that. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure I agree that, you know, there's there's one or two definitions. I, I think, like a lot of things, there are different ways to say things. Um, but to me, that's effective ventilation. Uh, ineffective ventilation is exceptionally easy to see. Um, it's people not opening up. You know, I, I watch I watch fires where departments are, are on a fire for 50 minutes, 50 minutes. And, the you know, and this is single single family dwelling, one, two family dwellings, maybe. And it's still burning and there's no ventilation. There's no extinguishment. It's freelancing. You know, you, you have people they are trying to 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 really do something that's simple in the fire service and they still haven't figured it out and the fire continues to burn effective ventilation is uh it's not as vital as applying water nothing ever is but effective ventilation is right there behind it you know you you get it vented you start putting the fire out you've relieved conditions inside for victims for firefighters um, and again life safety incident stabilization property conservation all those things are important, and uh, it's important to, to get effective ventilation done so that you can uh, ensure that, that all three of those objectives are met in that order. Um, it's just easier on everybody. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back, uh, uh, well, it's today, Tuesday. We'll be back on Thursday with another podcast, including... I'm going to talk about our next guest who will be on, uh, who will uh, I'll be doing an interview with. We'll talk about him on Thursday. Until then, stay safe.